This is the Radio Check Podcast, life in the concert touring industry. Hey, brother Chris. Yet again, here we are, but it's it's been a while, so I'm feeling like I trudged through the desert and I'm now getting a glass of water. So it's it's great to see you and to be podcasting yet again. How are you, man? Uh, I'm, I'm good. It's It's been three months. This has been oh, our Jesus. longest pause uh, and, and since we started podcasting. But as you know, uh, life, life, you know, got back to, you know, the way it was before COVID and, and you know, got busy and and, you know, you just don't find the time as much as, 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 as you want, you know? I know, but uh, what's, what is heartening to me is that regardless of how busy you are, you are still uh, able to maintain the energy and the time to continue the podcast, because I think it, it definitely um, has a lot to offer the world. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah, yeah, I, I know we've seen each other recently, but I, but I, uh, I think I, I, I let on that you know, I, I caught COVID. <laughs> I did. I caught COVID when we were, we were in Europe. Uh, you know, we started in Copenhagen and, you know, I was advancing, you know, all the Scandinavian uh, countries first. And they're like, hey, we haven't worn a mask here in three months. You know, COVID's gone here. And, you know, and my international flight to, to Europe, you know, I'm wearing a mask and, and you get off the plane in Copenhagen and nobody's wearing a mask. It's as if COVID doesn't exist. And I took my mask off and I threw it up into the air and I'm like, I'm free. You know, it was like this wonderful moment. And, uh, and boy, was I fucking naive. I was naive. You know, I, I, I got into town a couple of days before uh, the tool tour started in Copenhagen and I'm, you know, I'm riding the Metro, no mask on. I went into a restaurant, no mask on. I'm walking around. I'm like, yeah. And, uh, we tested on our load-in day and I tested negative, but, you know, two days later, show day, bam, popped positive. And, uh, and I, uh, I gave it to Kim, my production assistant. I gave it to Kuna, my stage manager. So yeah, we, we, we didn't get out of the gate on the tool tour in Europe for a good, because I, I, I started, I, I missed the first three shows. Uh, Kim missed the first like five shows. Kahuna missed a few shows it was just you know it's just a hot mess so god I, I did i did catch covid and uh yeah any symptoms did you get sick or uh i w- i was out for five days exactly um i had a really awful headache for okay. about 48 hours and i got congested and, and then i felt better pretty quickly and then i tested negative on an antigen test went back to work wore a mask uh, and then, and then some other things started happening. My chest started getting all funky, and my sinuses got all funky. So there was some residual after effects of, of COVID that I dealt with for a couple of weeks. But you know, it went away, and you know, I'm back to normal. And and I kind of have this, you know, bit of free feeling. You know, like I've I've, I've gotten through it. You know, I've got antibodies, and I'm protected now. And I'm I kind of walk around. You know. Uh, head held high. Like, like, yeah, yeah, head <laughs> held high. Well, you know, more like my shit doesn't stink. I'll, yeah, you know, okay. Like yeah. Kind of but you know, it's been a couple months now, and you know, the antibodies are starting to fade. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be back with the rest of the cattle in line to, mm. you know, get swabbed and you know, but you know. Yeah, I, so, yeah, I've heard of a couple of stories of people letting their guard down, just being tired of it with summer and you know more outdoor events and whatnot, and it's just people, you know, then they get COVID and they're like, crap. Okay, I guess it's still here. So it, it's yeah. still there. It's yeah. still there. 
So yeah. I'm in uh, I'm in I'm in uh, Pennsylvania now. I'm at State College Pennsylvania doing production rehearsals with Roger Waters. Uh, it's going well. Um, you know, we've got the stage up, we've got the video up, the lighting's up, and it's looking really really cool. We just started running uh, imagery through the screen for the first time last night, and it's pretty pretty fucking impressive. Um, you know, then uh, we'll be here for a few more weeks, and we start doing shows. Right on. Oh. <clears throat> How about you? What are you doing? Oh, well, um, yeah, I just moved finally into a longer term situation um, and in Connecticut, and I'm only about a block from the beach, which is pretty sweet, um, no. but I'm just getting to know the area, and it's a whole new environment for me, so it's, it's pretty exciting, so uh, all, all is good here, uh, traveling a lot in June myself for my work-related stuff, and then uh, hopefully just getting ready to have a great summer so and then nice. with hopes of catching you guys i think in august based off of your calendar and where i'll be so nice yeah but anyway but it's uh, i'm glad that you're all fully recovered and you had that experience and uh <laughs> you know well not you know hey it, it turned out okay uh, which is good God, i thought i wasn't gonna get it i really did yeah. I, you know but, you know it just you know it caught me well hopefully i'm glad that it didn't you know take you out of the knees so but uh Anyway, um, like again, this is exciting for me getting back in the saddle for the podcast. Uh, you know, it's still doing really well and really enjoying watching, you know, people leaving comments and, you know, checking it out as, as we continue here. And, you know, I, one thing I've never said in the past, I'm going to say it now and I'm going to try to say it at the end of the podcast. But for anybody who downloads this podcast and likes it, give it a thumbs up and rate it on whatever, you know, system you download it on because it really helps out and it gives us a little bit of feedback on how to pretty you know put it together a better show and, and content for all the listeners so that sounded like really kind of terrible for me to say you know no kind of no it didn't it didn't but... i'm just i'm just thinking of all the comments people could have for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so but you know all that being said um this is going to be great for me because we have a an awesome guest today that i know very little about um but i know you're really excited about it and so um i'm really interested in hearing their story and, yeah. you know, and everything going on in their life. And, um, you know, and again, just creating, you know, strengthening this community um, and with communication and stories. So anyway, that being said, you know, bring us in. Yeah. Yeah. A very dear old friend and uh, uh, great touring companion. And uh, we've done a lot of stuff together. We've been uh, friends for about 20 years, you know, and he's, he's a guy that, you know, you, you tour with lots of people, but you, you, you make friends with, you know, a, a fraction of them. He's, he's a guy that I've, I've made friends with and, uh, you know, I, I hold his uh, friendship very, very dear to me. Um, we've got Mr. Joe Paul Slaby. Um, how are you, Joe? Good. How are you guys doing? No, uh, we're, we're, we're good. We're good. You look good. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. As, as do you. It's good as do you. Uh, we just finished working together. We just did five months of, of tool together. So we got to hang out and, and, and chat and talk and, you know, relive the old days of post COVID and pre COVID and all this stuff. And uh, where, where are you right now, Joe? You're, you're in Albuquerque, I think. Yeah. Yeah. New Mexico. And I'm working for um, this singer of tool Maynard's project called Pussifer. Yeah. And is it, you guys started doing shows yet? Excuse me. You started doing shows yet? Yeah, we're doing shows. It's, um, it's a little lighter than Tool, you know. It's like it's got a comedic <laughs> element, and it makes it fun. There's uh, performers other than the band. There, you know. Uh, sorry about that. Um, there's 
a lot of people that I know from Tool, you know, there, there's certain crossover, and there's it's just, it's a great show. It's a lot of fun. Nice, nice. So, how many shows have you done? Four, yeah, three. You went, basically, you guys went straight from Tool to Pussifer rehearsals, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, Maynard's getting the, you know, he's vying for the hardest working guy in showbiz award. <laughs> he doesn't mess around. He just goes from one thing to the next. Yeah. And, you know, from this, he'll go straight to harvest his grapes and make wine. And Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, obviously our, 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 the reason why we know each other is because of Maynard. You know, yeah. you, you and I are one of the few people that have worked for all of his bands. Correct. Uh, yeah. For a perfect circle and tool. There's yep. probably less than a half a dozen of us that sure. managed sure, yeah. to, to make its way around. And so yep. that's that's the basis of our friendship and our touring relationship. We mm -hmm. met on uh, we met on a perfect circle in 2004, right? 2004. We did a no, actually, no. Did you do the first perfect circle opening for Nine Inch Nails? I did, yeah. That was okay. Like so that's two thousand, probably. Yeah, we met in two thousand. Yeah, when yep. uh, the Perfect Circle on their very first tour, uh, opening up for Nine Inch Nails when we were doing the Fragile tour. So that's when we met, and then yep. we went, and I went on to work with a Perfect Circle on their second record. Yeah, so yeah, we Pussifer. went around the world on that one. Oh man, that was a blast. Yeah, Pussifer just did a show at the Hollywood, uh, the Greek Theater, and um, Billy Howardell's new project opened. And he had Danny Lohner in his band, the the guy who was playing bass in Nine Inch Nails back in the day. So it was kind of fun to catch up with him and reminisce. Yeah, yeah. Danny, Danny's been, he's been, you know, he's he's part of that scene, you know, with Maynard yeah. and Billy and, yeah. and you know, and uh, uh, yeah. So so how was his band? How was that going? Oh, they, they was great. I didn't have a chance to listen to any of the new material that that record, I guess, just dropped this week. So um, I was excited for him, you know, to meet his new people. His drummer's a young guy that um, I've seen. He's like a internet uh, celebrity, sort of. And uh, he's, he's younger. And so it was kind of fun to see how Billy put together all the different elements with his new songs, which are great. Oh, cool. You know, I've yeah. always liked Billy, you know. You know, it's much like Maynard did with Matt Mitchell with Pussifer. He he did that with, uh, yeah. he, found, he found a guitar tech yeah. from the band he was working yeah. for and elevated him to writing partner. And uh, yeah. I really liked working for A Perfect Circle. I thought the music was great. I thought it was creative, uh, you know, nice people, you know, the, the, yeah. little, the little super group that we had with, uh, with Josh Freeze and, 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 and Jordy from uh, Manson's band and, and Josh and, and uh, that, was, that was fun. And James. And James Eha from the Pumpkins. Yeah, that yeah. was good. That was good. And you went on to do more with a perfect sugar, didn't you? Have you did you do yep. the last tour as well? Yep. I've done they they did another record recently. That was that was fun. You know, it was different, you know, different energy every time out, different cast of characters, but you know, when they play the back catalog, it, you you feel the the continuing thread through the whole project. It was it was nice. Uh, yeah, 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 three libras and the outsider and all that. Yeah, that stuff's that stuff's great. Yeah. That stuff's and in great. in some cases, I've with Maynard, I've instead of doing backline, which is my usual gig, I've done more uh, production stuff, production coordinator, dressing rooms. You know, as you become friends with musicians over time they they sort of trust you to uh trust you with their secrets so, so 
Yeah. We want somebody, you know, on the on the dressing room end that they feel comfortable with. So Yeah, you you and Maynard have a very interesting relationship. Yeah. You know, not only I mean you you work for his bands, but you know, you're you know, you don't necessarily work directly with him, but for some you guys have really started a yeah. A very interesting relationship. Oh, I've I've, uh, I've I've cleaned his wigs. <laughs> <laughs> I've um I've hosted wine tastings as a couple of us have. Yeah, but you guys are you guys are, are you're partners in crime in a lot of ways, you know. Oh with, yeah, uh, for with, sure. You know, with yeah. gags, you know, because yeah, uh, I don't know if anybody knows, but I know I know you've got a really big Instagram following that 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 uh, sees the gags that you and Maynard do during the Tool Show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are yeah, super was... funny. I mean, there's uh, uh, you know, what's what's the song? Descending. There's a song yes. that, that, that just goes on and on and on yeah. instrumental wise. And then Maynard's up on stage and, you know, he can't sit there and play a tambourine, you know, so he's, yeah. you know, he, 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 he finds things to occupy his time. Yeah. You know? He hides yeah. out behind the drum kit for tool on the drum tech. So, uh, you know, he's just got nothing to do. And then, you know, the, the stage volume is really loud there. So we write each other notes and there's this bit where, um, Danny hits the gong, it builds up and, we were joking, like, wouldn't it be funny if we had the camera on Danny, but then when it panned over to him hitting the gong, what if you were, you know, doing something that required concentration? So we came up with all these bits and I was posting them on my Instagram and I had set up my Instagram in a way that, you know, anybody could follow me. So somehow it, you know, it made it to the fan threads, the Reddit threads, and people said, you know, follow this guy. He's getting really good backstage stuff of tool and the tool guys didn't didn't mind danny the drummer for tool has a huge following but he doesn't really want to deal with social media and they don't have to you know they're hugely successful without ever doing any of that kind of stuff so true as a um uh oh yeah my instagram name is joe slaby j-o-e-s-l-a-b-y if anybody out there wants to follow it and see Lots of footage of Danny Carey. It's for it's for drum nerds basically, and that's part of the reason you know I I like to do it because I I myself am a drummer and a drum nerd, so I know that I know the kinds of things the, that those people will enjoy. Like I go check this out, you know this is this is how he sets his bass drum beater, you know, and people go yeah, I've always wanted to know that, you know. <laughs> and Danny has a lot of really um, unique choices for gear he he collects vintage electronic stuff so there's a couple pieces that people have heard on those records that they go i always wonder what that sound is and and i can i know i know their questions i've been meeting them for years like you know when you go to a a call there's certain local hands that are always drawn to like guitars or drums the the one guy on the drum crew always comes up and he, he you know he's the guy that wants to know like what ride symbol is that? And what snare drum did he use on this record? You know, those kind of questions. So for years I've been answering those questions individually and now it's just like a, a slightly bigger audience. Yeah, and I've, I've watched some of them. They're funny, they're like tips from Joe. When yeah. Tuning yeah. Ahead, when tuning ahead, it's best to start like this and do that. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. really, it's really, yeah. you know, it's very cool. 
but going back to you know the whole Maynard tomfoolery thing when when mm -hmm. when Danny hits the gong and, and, and yeah. he's supposed to do you you record these and you videotape them as you know, yes. little skits for for your Instagram yes and and with the one tell me about the the first one that was really funny with the with the board game you were using oh uh, <laughs> no the first the the first thing I did actually is I just shot him hitting the gong because I thought people would dig that because in the middle of this crazy crescendo he is able to pick up this big mallet. He's a big, strong guy and, and whack the gong. So I had put that in there and then we thought, well, oh, and then visually what I didn't realize was uh, I have a drill on stage and Maynard had picked up the drill and he was pretending to shoot the gong like a gun. And the light just flashed enough that some people caught it. Some people were like, hey, was that Maynard back there shooting, a, you know, doing something? And then that's when we got the idea. So the first thing we did was he's he's building a Jenga tower, you know that that game Jenga. Oh right, 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 and, right. And then Danny hits the gong, the whole thing falls down, and he starts <laughs> screaming at him. And then another time, um, it's the it's the board game Operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you're with the little tweezers and you're yeah, trying to so, fit in the know, little I'm, hole, and if you I'm touch putting, the sides, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm putting that on the list every day, and our production coordinator Kim is is going, "What you want me to?" By operation, I'm like, yeah, trust me, this this singer wants it, you know. So he's playing operation and he loses the patient. Of course, we had all the, because of COVID, we had, you know, masks and the the nurse on the tour had, had all the, uh, the gear you'd wear, rubber gloves and everything to actually perform surgery. Oh, yeah, 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 that's good. Yeah, those Instagram things are, are, are priceless. Are you, are you still doing them? Are you continuing to do them on Pussifer? Um... I, I will, yeah, I will. Right now, it's it's probably more boring drum stuff, and I'm working for another drummer who is got a really unique kit that I'm sure people will be interested in. You know, I haven't yet. Um, I'm he and I are still getting to know each other, so I haven't like asked him for that. What's, kind what's of his name? Exposure. Who's the drummer? Pussifer. His name is Gunnar Olson. And he's a great guy. And he, uh, the tool guys all came to the uh, Pussifer show in Hollywood. So he met Did they? Danny and Justin. Yeah, Adam watched from the stage and Justin and Danny were out in the crowd. So he, he got to meet them and they were super cool to him. And Oh, you know, how cool. Nice I'm really happy that they all came to see him. Yeah, me too. Show. Yeah, me too. It was great. I didn't get a lot of time with him because, of course, I was loading a truck. But yeah, yeah. Um, Gunnar Olsen, is that, a, is that a rock star name or what? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's you know it's kind of like the Gunnar spelling, but everybody calls him Gunnar, you know. And and he really, he's got that, you know. He's he's a big, he's he's Danny size, you know. He's tall oh, guy, he? and he really, you know, lays into the drums. So when he gets passionate, you know, it makes me passionate. You know, when you watch really good players, you know, I know you guys probably share. The, you know, the basic love of music. So when oh, you know, it's fun to be part of it, it reminds you, oh yeah, this is, this is exciting. You know, that yeah. 12 hours on the bus wasn't, wasn't exciting, but this moment, <laughs> you know, made it worth it. This. Well, you know, that's interesting because we, we do that a lot and I, and I, and I take notice. <clears throat> Sometimes you have a really hard day. Like it's a, you know, it's a late load in or it's a hard load in and it, yeah. it's just like a struggle. The whole day's a struggle. Yeah. And then the house lights go out and the band starts playing. And then you think to yourself, it's okay. It's okay. That was worth it. It was all I, worth it for this very Can I very make an moment. analogy? 
Yeah. Um, we just played in Vegas. The tour started in Vegas. And this thing happens when everybody gets on the bus after Vegas where you kind of make a, 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 a summary of what everybody won or lost. And everybody says that they won money. Like nobody goes, oh, I lost $300. Everybody just says, I came out ahead. And I think what that tells you about the human brain is that we forget the bad stuff. We only remember the good times, you know, looking back on a career as a yeah. real kind of, it looks like a big party, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, in reality, our industry has so many rewarding things and that's just one of them, you know, I mean, yeah, uh, it is. It, it, I often feel lucky, especially the, the travel, the days off in unique places with fun people. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Great, but you know, there's the, there's the, I have a day off in Paris with, you know, and then there's this, you know, I, I work for a great band and this show is cool and, and I'm honored yeah. to be here and this is such a privilege, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I, lots I feel, of cool things. I feel in my role as backline, it's less pressure than people like you and people in sort of higher up positions carry. And I felt, I feel really fortunate that I've worked for, really good dudes and you women. have and i want i do want to talk about a lot of people you work for but you know but uh -huh. you know with drum tech you know there, there's the one thing that the drum tech should be envied about doesn't matter if you're in a fucking stadium or cbgb's you have your eight by eight space to work in <laughs> <laughs> well tool you know? is 12 by 12 but you know you, know, you have <laughs> your space you know you don't have yeah. to cram you know because hey this is my riser and i'm fitting yeah. on here no matter it's you know it's, it's and you're kind of in control of more more things i don't have to rely on somebody provided to me by the promoter like a runner you know you get a bad runner it can ruin your day but <laughs> yeah, I'm in control of my gear and i yeah. brought all the spares i need and so you know, we, we can take this this conversation in a lot of different directions, but I, I, I know one, one thing that Matt and I do is we, we we allow people to tell us their story, you know, where they mm -hmm. came from and how they and how they made their way. So, you know, going back, we met in two in two thousand. Um, you've I, I've heard stories of things you, you've worked for many many years before that. So, where, mm -hmm. where tell the story? Where where, where are you from? Where do you where did you grow up? And how did you um, get into the I, I grew up in New England, and I was going to college in Vermont, and. Um, I worked with a guy who had toured nationally as a drummer. And uh, so he knew some touring folks and he was on a break. He, he, you know, he, you know how the career of a musician is like sort of an arc. And I think his, his touring life had peaked. So he was in a place where someone offered him a job as a roadie because he was a drummer, but he was like, no. And he just handed the phone to me. He goes, here, this guy. I was <laughs> playing drums in a punk rock band and we did van tours. And so he's like, well, if you play, then you can probably be a drum tech. And the band was Jane's Addiction. Really? Yeah. And uh, the guy who was the TM uh, worked for Warner Brothers. They were sort of more or less the record label in that era, you know, was supporting the tour the tour was one big expense for getting them exposure they were big in la but nobody else knew who they were it was when they right. were when the brothers record came out nothing shocking in 1980 so you and, were on that tour yeah i saw that, that show at toad's place 
Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Oh, that, when that album came out, it changed my whole perception of music. I was so blown away it with did. that album. So it, it was did. like, what is this? And then I went yeah. immediately. So I was at Toads and you were there probably in what, 88 or whatever. So 89, I think. Yeah, 89, maybe. So. I also went to high school in Connecticut, so I knew Toads. So that wow. being, being in venues that, you know, I had gone to see shows in was, of course, amazing. Like, this is the same toilet that the Ramones used or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big deal. Um, where, where in Connecticut, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, Madison, Connecticut. Okay, right on, right on. I just and, moved to Brantford, so. Oh, yeah, cool. Excellent. The, um, the first thing they did was supporting Iggy Pop. Oh, wow. And that was, you know, Iggy wasn't, some of those artists I worked for weren't exactly legends at that point yet. Like I toured with Deborah Harry when she was touring as a solo artist. Nowadays, Iggy and Debbie are considered, you know, godfather of punk or, you know, queen of punk or whatever. But in the days when I was working for him, you know, it was slogging it out in clubs. Right. And, right. Um, but, you know, for me, I was really, you know, just super green, you know, touring with Jane's Addiction was literally, you know, joining the circus. It was. Yeah, yeah. Well, Stephen uh, Perkins, great guy. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, he's, he's such a wonderful guys. guy. Yeah, I, 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 I had my opportunity to work for them, but, you know, much later in their career. Yeah. So what was it like on that? Because it, it was a bit rise. It was meteoric. It just went, it just shot. What was, well, what was it like, you know, yeah, slugging, like you were saying, slugging it in clubs and then, and then seeing the record get momentum? Yeah, there was, there was definitely a, a lot of, you know, most of the people like sound guys and people we'd pick up were, were from the metal world. You know, there's a lot of long haired dudes and, you know, <laughs> and, and Jane's was like sort of re, re, redefining what, could be done you know they had so many influences and they were super brave i've seen this many times with bands you go to work for them and it, you know they know they're great it, it's them against the world it's like yeah we just need to show people that we're awesome and jane's addiction tool was that way too when i started working for him you know they were just totally fearless and doing a cool unique thing that people hadn't seen and they, they were just like yeah eventually you guys are going to see how great we are like right you don't get it right now but we're going to win you over like by the end of the set or by the end of <laughs> the, the touring cycle people would be like oh yeah that band kicks ass they are and they're underrated players too you know dave dave navarro is an incredible guitar player you don't hear much many people talk about that but you know yeah. he is just an and incredible guitar player. there was a lot of things for me as an individual you know like it was just eye-opening. Well, there was there was substance abuse. You know, there was uh, it, it was things would get canceled because somebody had to go to rehab. You know, it was very. There wasn't. It was the era of pre-barricade kind of late '80s. You know, like I I spent most of my time fighting people off the stage or, like one at one show in London, somebody just stole Dave's pedals. And we had to dive into the crowd. We had to stage dive to get him back so we could finish the show. <laughs> In the middle of the show? It was at an encore, but it was still like, hey, wait a minute. You know, we, you can't just walk away with that digital delay. We need it, you know. Um, right. There's videos, like when I look, you know, whatever managed to end up on YouTube, there's this great video where 
I'm like frantically doing something on the edge of the stage and Perry comes up behind me and starts like fucking with me, but I have no idea. Like he's like moving his crotch, you know, at the back of my head and I have no idea because I'm like trying to, you know, hold hold somebody off or something. You know? Oh, how funny. how funny. And they would always, you know, they didn't they didn't want security to roughhouse their fans, so they we would instruct people, let us deal with it because if somebody came on stage, it made the most exciting part of the show if Perry like randomly interacted with a fan that was accepted, you know? Yeah, yeah. There was a show in, I think, Phoenix where it was a bowl. And so they were playing at the bottom of the bowl. And it was probably booked before somebody's rehab. So, you know, six months had passed and it had gotten much more popular. And we were, the stage set was from the, the cover ritual was like a kind of a fetish, like a centuria, like candles and knickknacks. You know, we would just go to junk shops and buy stuff and we decorated the whole stage. So a girl comes on stage and we're like, what do we do? And Perry's like, she's cool. And she just starts dancing, you know? So it was that song, uh, Stop, if anybody knows Jane's Addiction. Yeah, yeah. Sort of frenzy builds up then another girl gets on stage and she's just dancing not bothering anybody you know she's not like interfering with anybody's ability to play their instrument or anything and then a dude comes up and we're like okay what now and perry's like no and the guy's being cool he's like oh the girls are doing like go-go dancer bit that's what i'm gonna do you know i'm just gonna dance but of course at a certain point the floodgates just opened and everybody was like it's okay to run on stage and the stage was the lowest point, you know, so everybody could just easily access the stage and the whole stage just got overrun. And we just had to grab the guys and get off to the dressing rooms and they, they stole all the stuff. Oh, no. And then we, you know, it probably took 10 minutes to clear the stage off and then bring the band back. And they picked up the song at the exact moment where they left. Wow. Steve Perkins had a board tape of it. And, and we reminisced about that. Like, wow, that was so much fun, you know. Like, <laughs> and then from the bus, we saw the fans going home with the stuff. And we're like, hey, we need that back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you did the, the first Lollapalooza tour. Yeah. That was great. That must have been exciting. Yeah, it was. It was super fun times. You know, well, nobody knew what it was. What it would end up becoming. You know, it was just hey, let's yeah. just do a tour. Let's call it Lollapalooza. Yeah. Perry curated it. You mm -hmm. know, what were some of the bands on that? Remind me. Rollins Band, Butthole Surfers, Living Color, Nine Inch Nails, Susie and the Banshees, and Jane. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah! Wow! Now it was it was in sheds, right? Yeah all across the US. And it probably wasn't as long as it became, you know, later when it was a name that everybody recognized, it was probably only about a month of shows. And that was also at Jane's Addictions, you know, they knew they were gonna break up at that point. It was their, yeah, they did. you know, final thing. We ended up fulfilling an obligation to do some dates in Australia after that, but more or less that was the the you know the last run for that right day. it's interesting because i did the very last lollapalooza you know which was in 2003 you know with james i was working for audio slave but you know james did the oh i remember that one because um it was audio slave and i had worked for brad because i had toured with rage against the machine and it was james because i i knew steve and i can't remember who i was there with though but was was tool on that or 
No, so, no, so it wasn't on there, no. Somebody else I worked for was on that. There was three drummers that I had toured with. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, okay, so you went from Jane's Addiction, you did Nothing Shocking, then Ritual de la Habitual, the second yep. tour, then they break up. So where do you go from there? I mean, did, were you still like, hey, I still want to do this for a living? Or were you thinking of going back to playing? Or what were you? No, you know, I look back at that time and there wasn't, I didn't really have a plan, but when people call you and go, Hey, do you want to do this? I would always be like, hell yeah. You want to pay me to come, you know? So one thing just led to another and maybe you've seen this happen. You know, of course you learn by doing you, you know, every time something goes wrong, you go, oh, I'm never going to let that happen again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not like you, you preempt, you, you start out any job knowing exactly all the things you learn as you go. And I think because of the reputation of Steve Perkins, I got a lot of work because I, people said, oh, that's the guy that works for Steve Perkins. You know, it was like, he, Steve Perkins is great. So that guy can't be that bad <laughs> if he takes care of Steve. Yeah, I did yeah. um, Tim Alexander with Primus for a while. Um, obviously, I said, I said Brad Wilk with Rage Against the Machine. What, what's, oh, what's, what's Rage Tour did you do? I did um, Evil Empire and um, Battle of Los Angeles. Really? Oh, yeah. man. When they, stuff. they were just playing big venues and rocking from the front row to the last row, everybody on their feet. I've never never been worked with a band that could quite rock people Dude, the way that band did. Are you did. kidding me? Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's, I, I stood on the side of the stage at Woodstock. When they, <laughs> I was there on, yeah. on, on, on that Battle of Los Angeles tour. Yeah. And I was just in awe. Yeah. I just stood also there with my mouth guys. open going, what the fuck? Also looking at guys. the audience. The audience was just this object that was just yeah. jumping around. And and then Timmy lit his Timmy lit the flag on fire on stage. Yeah. Remember yeah. that? Oh my God, that was crazy. Working for them because they're openly political they they dare dare to be you know to say things you know saturday night live all that kind of stuff yeah they um mm -hmm. like i was working for them I, it was really early when i started working for them we're doing a loadout and i saw one of brad's drumsticks chewed up and i, I thought oh some fan is going to want this and i kind of shoved it in my back pocket we load the truck we're walking back to the dressing room and I see this kid being treated by a medic, you know, who's obviously, um, you know, been in the mosh pit or whatever. And I figure I'm going to make this kid's day. And I go hand him a drumstick. But what I didn't realize was he was being arrested for some reason. <laughs> it was a cop. <laughs> and the cop, I mean, there was a medic. I didn't miss that, but the cop just thought, no way you can't reward this kid for being arrested he thought i was being like yeah you're so subversive have a drumstick you know uh, and the cop went after me and of a weapon was, was was he was full of rage you know i remember because you remember those lanyards that would break on the back of your neck that yeah, yeah, the, 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 give the breakaway lanyard grabbed me yeah. by the my shirt and broke my lanyard you know he he, he lifted me off the ground by my shirt and all the other rage crew ran over to my defense. And I was like, oh yeah, this is what it's gonna be like. You know, these guys are openly supporting Mumia 
and cops don't like that, you know, because he's viewed by certain faction as, you know, a cop killer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was a lot of things like that that happened that were kind of real. Like, like I was saying, jo- working for Jane's Addiction was like joining the circus. You know, you it's kind of part of that. It's part of that, but it's also part biker gang. You know, like you there there might be a fight. You know, there, something might go down, and you just are gonna. You know, I've never actually gotten in a fight, but <laughs> one of my favorite Jane's Addiction stories involves a a bar fight. If you want to hear that one, oh yeah, 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 let's, let's go back. <laughs> oh, should I tell it? Oh yeah. All right, I'll try to be quick. We're in a hotel in Pittsburgh, and we're at the, it's a day off, and we can see like the the venue from it was the. Uh, the ice dome there where, where the Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right? That, that really and, um, awful dome in, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's all these really cute girls at the bar. We just couldn't figure it out, you know, and they don't, nobody knows who Jane's addiction is. They just see Perry with his nose ring and his dreads and his tattoos. And they're just like, who's the alien, you know, they want to know, you know? So we're like, Oh yeah, we're a band, you know, and you want to come see the show? We'll put you on the guest list. Well, it turns out they were a touring ice capades troupe. And they had a show the next night. So the dudes in the Ice Capades troupe were not at all excited that we were like interacting with these young women. And somebody like sat on somebody's coat. It just, you know how those things start, you know, there's alcohol involved. And one guy, I remember he shoved Eric, the bass player, like, and Eric fell backwards and it drew everybody's attention. Like, uh oh, there's a fight. You know, it was probably, you know, it was probably just a misunderstanding, but suddenly people were throwing punches at each other, right? And there was this one guy with us. He was one of Perry's buddies from Long Beach. And he just did that thing that they do in movies where he broke a bottle. And he just said, I'll cut you, motherfuckers. You know, it was just like, whoa, you know, and that cle- cleared everybody out. The bartender had called the cops, you know, people all kind of hid in their rooms. And of course, me, I'm completely sober, you know, and the cop, I'm the only one there to give a statement, you know, I'm just like, yeah, it was, it was a misunderstanding, you know. Oh, but, oh, I, for- I forgot the most important detail. The Ice Capade show was California Raisins on Ice. <laughs> basically, you know, James Addiction got their asses kicked by the California Raisins. Punchline to that story. It, you know, that was a thing. It was like the promoting raisins in California. They had this commercial, and it became like a Saturday morning cartoon. And then it became an ice capades show. So those were the guys that, that beat us up in a bar. <laughs> Oh gosh, I forgot where we are in the story. Okay, so oh yeah, sorry, I, I digress. Okay, so we're in the '90s now. You're working for some of the coolest bands of that that that, yep. that yep. decade. You know, Jane's Addiction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. I've been working for Danny Carey since the early '90s, and so I got to watch Tool grow from you know from the original lineup with the Paul, the original bass player, and Clubs, and put together records that you know, now people look at as, you know, totally, you know, iconic and legendary things, you know, 
it's nice. It's nice to see at this point, you know, them getting that those kind of accolades. You know, they've managed to stay together this long, and you know, yeah, so. yeah. Dan, Danny Carey is 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 such a good player. He's such a good dude. You know, I've only known him for a few years, and and you've known him since he was a a kid. Yeah. You know? the The joke I had about that Instagram is there's a couple short bits where I just kind of ask him some questions. I just say, Hey Danny, you know, fans want to know. And he kind of in the middle of soundcheck just sort of turns to me and answers them, you know, and everybody always comments, Oh, he just seems like such a great dude. Um, you know, he, he got himself in trouble. He got arrested last year. Oh yeah. I joked with him. I said, dude, this is like, this is me rebuilding your, your public image. <laughs> because people will see that you are genuinely a nice guy. and that He's you know, such a good dude. My favorite part of the day, working for Tool. You know, see Danny before the show need, needs to be handled in some way. Like, Danny, yeah. it's 10 minutes, yeah. Danny, it's five minutes. Because you go into his dressing room and he is listening to prog rock or, or, or heavy metal or, or, or something. Uh, and he just gets lost in his drum pad, you know, and if I'm yeah, not there yeah. to tell him, Danny, five minutes or Danny, it's time to go. He would just sit there and with music on and keep playing. And, yeah. and, and, and I, I go into his dressing room and we talk about the music he's listening to, you know, a lot of times I know what it is. And we, we nerd out on, on, on yes. And, and King Crimson and Bill Bruford and, and uh-huh. uh, all these things and Jethro yeah. Tull and, you know, it's just so fun to sit there and talk to him. And uh, he's such a great guy. And, and I really, really enjoy walking him to the stage every night and yeah. putting his ears on him and sending him yeah. up on stage. And he, he's it's such a, a, a privilege to to be, you know, be part of that process. Uh, such a good. I agree. <clears throat> I agree. It's a privilege. Yep. And he's, he's got he's, a giant rig now. He just they've been touring so much now that he's like, yeah, let's just bring that thing. I bought that thing. This is my chance to use that thing. Like, remember we brought the big five foot gong. Yeah. 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 You know, like he'll just the, the digital marimba, this modular synthesizer, you know, there's just not even any space to add anything else in his massive. It's it's kind of cool. And it's very retro. I mean, you know, the original synthesizers, I took a music class when I was in high school in, in, in the late 70s, and synthesizers were patch chords going from hole yeah. to hole, yeah. and then you would turn a knob. Yeah, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a keyboard, you know, like, like yeah. you, you think of a synthesizer now. And so Danny has that in his drum rig, this big rack with all these cables coming out, this patch yeah. cables going from here to here to here to here. Yeah, nowadays, like all that stuff is miniaturized, but it's the same components and the same patch interface that you would you know to to build a signal path for from right. a signal generator to all the envelopes and everything and he's into it because every day we come up for sound check he doesn't come up and sit on the drums he comes over and, and stands next to the synthesizer yeah. and starts twisting that's the doing sequences and needs tweaking every day you know yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the one of those dials you know just moving just a fraction will affect the whole the whole chain all right and a digital marimba is super cool too yeah <clears throat> Yeah, that's a, a rare piece for sure. I he, he well, I mean, he played it on the record, and so he wants to he wants to feature it in the show. Yes, yeah, it's very very, and cool. it looks super cool too. It, we mounted over his big gong, and it just looks super cool. He's sort of gone. I think, in a way, now that Neil Peart has passed, Danny is filling that role for the for the people who love drumming. You know, the 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 big 
epic drum kit, you know. Yeah, yeah. 160 degrees of stuff. Yeah, he's 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 an athlete up there in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, yep. he he the things he's able to do and maintain at a at a specific speed and timing, and just yeah. it just goes on, and you're like your arm would fall off if if you tried doing that yourself. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, he's, and I watch him warm up on his drum pad, and you know he does, you know, whatever it's a paradiddles or whatever these things, yeah. these exercises that he does, and this is yep. he just sits there, and kind of daydreams and just and, and gets lost in it, and, and yeah. it's it's super super talented and dedicated, and he he practices and works really hard. He he deserves all the credit he gets. So okay, all right, we're back in the '90s. You're working again. Tool. Yeah, I toured oh. with, uh, as you know, with Perfect Circle. I worked for Josh Freeze. Yeah, he's kind of, you know, got his got hit, got a lot of gigs. I I did other work with him. I I toured with Sting. Oh, you did Sting stuff with him. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, he he toured with Nails. I did some of that. Um, Jeremy Berman was his tech on most of the Nails stuff. But when Jeremy got married that one summer, I went out with Nails. Um, what, so I did a replacement tour with Josh, which was fun, which was a blast. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Josh is so he's so, he's anybody who knows Josh Freeze is he's 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 not only a great drummer, but he's so interesting to watch play. He's got this unique style about him. Oh yeah, just, yeah, It's just cool. You know, yeah, he's like yeah. oozing with cool when he plays drums. You know, Agreed. he'll yeah. take his arm and, and go around on a windmill and, and hit the yeah. drums. You know, it's, yeah. it's 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 so cool. It's, it's like a subtle. It's like a subtle show off. Like yeah, I mean, I'm just keeping time, so maybe I'll smoke a cigarette. <laughs> you know, maybe I'll, you know, like I just play with my right hand while my left hand checks my email. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we, we can't, we, we have to tell the story of, of, of 2004 Perfect Circle 13th Step Tour. Mm-hmm. We're out there supporting it. And, uh, and uh, what's the name of the band that was opening for us? Oh, the Mars Volta. The Mars Volta. Yeah, I ended up us. working for John Theodore as well after that tour. John Theodore is a great drummer. Stick, stick with the Josh. Stone Stone Stone. I think I knew where this is going. They were, they were playing... Okay, we're in. We're playing. We're playing in some in, in some convention center. In, in yeah, it was actually here. It was actually in New Mexico. It was in Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah. there's this big, wide open convention space that we turned into catering. So the kitchens there, the dining rooms there, the yeah. buses are parked there. It's like this big, wide open space. And all right, tell tell the story. What happens? Uh, they were messing around. Somebody bought, you know, as you do on a day off. At, uh, it was a. Uh, remote control airplane or something that we were chucking around, running around and John threw it and Josh went to get it and slipped on the, the, the asphalt or cement. It was concrete. Yeah. Concrete and broke his kneecap. Yeah. He went down. We we were all watching it because everybody's laughing. There's this thing flying through the air and and Josh is weaving around catering tables, looking up, trying to catch this thing and just dumps, man. And he went down and he did not get up. Yeah. He, I remember he went to the hospital, they x-rayed it. It was split, but this is the, what I think you're getting to is that he was able to play the show by playing the kick drum with his left foot. He's right-handed, so he plays bass drum with his right foot. And we just, it was in a cast, it was in like a a cast that he had to keep his legs straight. Yeah, it was a long cast. So we just put the wheelchair behind the kit. We set up the bass drum on his left foot and then the hi-hat was permanently closed because he just couldn't 
play it with his left foot. Well, he had two hi hats. He had an open one and a closed one. So he, because he didn't have a foot to open and close the hi hat, so he set up <laughs> two of them. So he had a closed one and an open one. And then he just did the show. He did the show. So instead of playing kick drum with his right foot, he played kick drum with his left foot. Yeah. Had an open and closed hi hat, and and we played the show as if nothing. <laughs> happened yeah <laughs> it was incredible yeah but here, here okay so he, he he takes this ball we call an ambulance and i've got my hand over my face the tour's over i'm thinking what are yeah, we that, gonna do we're, we're gonna yeah. cancel tonight we're sending him away with the runner to the emergency room <clears throat> and we're just kind of like all just really nervous and anxious and hoping and the production office phone rings and it's josh <laughs> he's calling me from the hospital i go hey man i'm so hey so what's going on he's like put joe paul on I'm like, but how are you to put Joe Paul on? <laughs> so I call you on the radio. You come into the office. Yeah. I hand you the phone. Yeah. And he's ex- essentially explaining how we're going to save the day. And you're like, okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and then you hang up the phone and walk off like, Joe, what's up? He goes, we got this. We got a plan or something like that. And you run up under the drum kit and you completely rearrange. He comes back. Uh, from the hospital with crutches with a cast from his hip down to his ankle practically and we we get him up on stage I think Mars Volta was doing the set change it was during the set change Mars Volta had played and, and he's sitting there going through the kit and and then we did the show it was yeah. it was just and I yeah. look at him after the show and I said are you okay <laughs> it, 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 he essentially saved all of our jobs that Agreed. tour was going home yeah and the trucks, everything was going home and he saved the day. I was talking to Gunner on the tour I'm now on about how it feels when you know someone you admire is watching, you know? And sometimes I think Josh was one of those guys that like he knew it was gonna be a story. He was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna kick ass and everybody's gonna remember the day that I played, you know, lefty, you know. Um I actually, I t- took a lot of photos in those days and I found a picture of me pushing his wheelchair <laughs> and I put it on my Instagram and in the comments, oh, people, how cool. oh, I saw one of those shows. I remember, you know, you'd wheel him up there every day and he'd play the show with his right foot, totally, you know, straight out. Oh, in front nice. of yeah. <laughs> oh, that was such an amazing thing. You know, that's a legendary thing. That was a legendary. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Yeah, okay, and John- so we're in the 2000s. We're working for Perfect Circle. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what else did you do? I mean, on and off with Tool, what, what else did you do? Were you, were you well, I did. Kind of, I, you know how you get, you end up on gigs that I almost, like I did a bunch of tours with the singer Natalie Merchant. Oh, right. You know, like Tool was out doing like Ozfest or something, you know, but Natalie played Lilith. And those were really good tours. They were selling well. So they was, there was great catering and there was amazing artists. I met Amy Lou Harris and Bonnie Raitt and Sarah McLaughlin had, and her, her partner at the time was a drummer, her drummer. And I loved hanging out with them and they had a dog on tour with them. And Natalie was last on the bill before them. They finished the show every night. So they would let me babysit their dog while they were sound checking. You know, it's just such a a nice experience. You know, dogs are fun. I mean, the tool guys are really nice guys, but 
that there was something nice about touring with women on the crew, you know, like there was, there was just more, it was more, it's, it's good energy. Energy. That's yeah. Good, good it's energy. Really good energy. Exactly. Yeah. When you, when you were talking about, uh, you know, going from Tool to Natalie Merchant, it brought me back to a memory. Uh, I was finishing uh, uh, the Nine Inch Nails uh, Fragility Tour in, uh, in, in 2000. And as you, you know, as you go from tour to tour, we're, we're, we're finishing up Nine Inch Nails and, and Trent asked me, he goes, hey, so what are you going to go do next? And I said, I'm going to go work for Matchbox 20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the, and the look on his face was, he felt betrayed, offended. He was yeah. like, my production manager is not going to go work for Matchbox 20. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things. Well, this other thing happens too with bands that they think what they're doing is the end all. You know, I'm an artist. Everybody, you know, you sit in catering and the wall is covered with photographs of all the other artists who played that venue. You know, you're in a shed and it's Britney Spears and Van Halen and Billy Joel. Everybody who's ever played that event is like watching you eat. But to me, it's like, yeah, it's show business. You know, that's there's lights, there's a PA. People go to a concert and buy a T-shirt. You know, what, say, Tool, you know, what Tool's doing isn't really that much different, you know. But, of course, the guys in the band, if they heard me say that, they'd be like, what are you talking about? We're artists. What You know, what we do is so heavy. We're not Britney Spears, you know. But there is – it's a tradition, and people in our role – you know, we've seen those people come and go. And after you've seen a show a hundred times, it's not exactly going to move you. You know, it's not like, oh my God, you guys were, you guys are geniuses. You know, like you really, you know, blew my mind tonight. You know, it's, it's entertainment, you know? Yeah. They come off stage. How was it? Um, same as last night. (laughs) (laughs) A buddy of mine, a buddy of mine, um, I was watching him, a guitar tech, and uh, he's like nodding his head and I'm like, were you really getting into it tonight? And he goes, oh no, I always do that. So in case my guy looks at me, he sees me like rocking out. (laughs) 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 But you know, you're, that's part of your job, right? Is you're, you do become a sounding board when people are like insecure. They're like, oh, how did I do? You know, you want to open with, well, you did this thing really well. And then later in your critique, you can kind of throw in something that you think they should pay attention to, you know, but you open up with, oh man, it was great. What are you talking about? (laughs) And and another thing that people in our role, I think, see a lot is the real pros don't acknowledge when they've made a mistake because they know how to, they're giving a show. It's part of professionalism is to smile. Have you ever seen that, that? footage of Van Halen. It was on the one of their reunions with David Lee Roth and one of the encores was Jump. And it opens with this kind of heavy synth intro that was on the record. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that tour, Eddie didn't actually play the synth. He didn't play that big keyboard solo. It was all on track. He just plays guitar. So basically, you know, as we know, we've been We've been to the hot dog factory. We know what goes into the hot dogs. You know, there's usually a person who's paid really well to push play on the computer. They run the computer and it's got lots of 
backing tracks on it, you know, that's just track, like, every backline crew nowadays has a Pro Tools guy, you know, it's a skill that, that yeah, yeah, yeah. people don't want to know that, but we know that. So the intro plays, and then the really noticeable, you know, that comes on. <laughs> What's happened is the rig, somebody has accidentally reset the sample rate of the, of the Pro Tools track, the keyboard track. So it's a half step off. Right. So David comes in and he's hearing that and he starts singing to that melody. But when Eddie comes in, it sounds like he's out of tune, but he's not. His guitar is totally in tune. It's the track that's wrong. Right. But he doesn't know. And he just smiles right through the whole thing. Like you see him go and he puts on his tuner and he looks and he goes, nope, I'm in tune. And he's looking over at his tech like, I don't know what the fuck is happening, but something's wrong. Like you can tell they... The guys know this is wrong, you know, like, but they just play through it. And I'm like, that's professionalism to me. Yeah. Like, the fans don't want to see you bumming out. The fans don't want to see you screaming at your texts or whatever. Just kind of go, hey, something's wrong over here. Hey, <laughs> we need you. Come on out. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Well, going back to the tool guys, since both of us have such a, a relationship with them. Yeah. We do an intermission in the show where they come off, you know, they yeah. sit for 10 minutes and every night they come off and they're such perfectionists. They always talk about, you know, or one, one of the band members will go, oh man, I'm really, really sorry, but I, 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 this wasn't right. You know, or I didn't do yeah. that right. Or I came in a yeah. little like a fraction of a second too early or whatever. And the rest of the guys in the band are so supportive going, no, man, it was fine. You were great. It's fantastic. Yeah. The show's yeah. good. And even on shows that they know probably aren't maybe as good as others, they're still super supportive of each other. And they're all, you know, trying to keep each other in the game and, and with a positive attitude. And I really always appreciate about them. There's, a, there's this professionalism, but a friendship and a brotherhood and a love for each other. And they're, they're so supportive of each other. And that's, that's there's another thing that can happen too between backline guys is you've seen the show so many times that you know when your guy messed up like yeah of course you know? and so if they're having a debate about it no dude it was you no you know it was you the crew all knows <laughs> <laughs> they we're do like, we're like actually uh like in tool more often than not Justin is the guy who holds it together. The he bass is. player is the glue. And when he, <laughs> I know right away when he turns to face the other guys, it's like, uh oh, we're on the brink of losing this. <laughs> Will you guys please pay attention to me? And, and he's, he's the guy who's always right. <laughs> it's true. Well, well, when they're sound checking and they're maybe playing a song they haven't played in a while. It's Justin's conducting, like he'll have yeah. his hand up, going, remembers you know, the counting with his hand, going, "Okay, come in here and point." Yeah. And yeah, you know, he's they, he, you're, you're right. Ten minute songs from the new record that they're trying to learn. Yeah. Oh, I know the, the show is. You, know, you look at the set list and go, "That's it." <laughs> no, yeah. No, no. <laughs> no, no. This is this is gonna, we're going to be here a while. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's funny. Uh, so yeah, love working, love working for Tool. I would work for them anytime. You know, it's 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 a pleasure, and and we've got a good bunch of folks out there too. You know, I mean, we all. Oh man, that's that's the all... best. Yeah, they've put together some great people. You know, the the bass tech Scott Doc came in, and he's just like, man, I love this tour. You know, everybody's cool. You know, and I, I agree. Yeah, that's that's sometimes that's you know, it's so important when 
you can be comfortable at your job, <clears throat> you know, and a lot of yeah, that has to do universal. with your personalities and the people it's universal. you run, you know, and, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter what venue you're in or what band you're working yeah. with or whatever, good people make if, if everybody's cool, it's just so good. Yeah, good people make bad days good and good days awesome. I agree. I so agree. So you're, you're, you're a New England guy. I know you lived in Burlington, Vermont for a long time, didn't you? Yeah. Now I live in Seattle, but I, I do love Vermont. It's great. Yeah, I love, I love Vermont too. It's very cool. Uh, and you've been in Seattle for several years, years now. 15 years yeah. now. Were, weren't you working at a theater there at one point? I had a couple different non-touring gigs. You know, you, you kind of burn out on tour and then an opportunity pops up its head. Of course, in my case... Here I am back on the road again, but <laughs> I did work at a, uh, a nonprofit for a while, a writer center. That's how I met my wife, who's a writer. And then I had a job um, in the Showbox, which is one of Seattle's best clubs. One of the things I saw on the other side, on the venue side is, <clears throat> and I, I want to say this diplomatically, but there's a lot of times, you know, a position needs to be filled on a tour and people call you and they go, we need somebody who's good. This is the requirements. Do you know anybody? And if you're going to recommend another person, you're kind of putting your own reputation on the line. You're saying, Oh yeah. I vouch for this person, you know? And when I worked in clubs, people would find out about my touring experience and they'd be like, Oh, I would love to get into that. And it wasn't, wasn't always the kind of person I would be willing to vouch for. You know, every once in a while you meet somebody and you go, oh my God, you'll love being on the road. But there's a definitely like a high bar of professionalism and work ethic and all these things that when I get on a tour bus, I take it for granted that these people around me, you know, we're going into war together and I can count on all of them. You know, that day when it's pouring rain and we need extra hands on the ramp for whatever reason, you know, like that these people. People are going to come through. And I didn't always see that in the non-touring side, you know? So I, yeah, it was that like doesn't like, No, no, it's a, it's a camaraderie that we've, yes, that we've, right. that we've learned and we've nurtured with each other, you know? It's, yeah. it's, <clears throat> I often compare it to other jobs like um, the service industry when people work in a bar together and they get to a night and then they stay at the bar and party with each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I yeah. can comment to that, you know, as far as like, I, I grew up with, you know, underneath Chris's wing there since I was probably like 10 or 12 years old, you know, pushing cases and whatnot. And, you know, I worked in the industry when I was younger, but ever since I've left and every other industry that I've worked in, mostly in healthcare and different settings and all kinds of things, the level of professionalism is just a fraction of what it is on the road. I mean, it's the most professional environment I've ever been in. The work ethic and the quality, um, communication, humbleness is just second to none. You know, and I say that just from the standpoint of anybody listening to this podcast that's in the industry, understand that you're, I mean, from my perspective, some of the hardest working, um, you know, honorable people out there for sure. I remember, Matt, when they rolled out the vaccine, the first time I went to get a, a, a vaccine for COVID, it was such chaos. I was like, 
I really want to put up some signs. <laughs> I really want to direct yeah. the traffic and make some lines. And that one person is overworked. They need somebody to help them, you know, look up records and stuff. It's like they need roadies. Yeah, it's a perfect example. Like earlier in our in our podcasting career, I don't know if it was Chris that said it or someone else, but you know, getting the vaccine distributed. I think it was Chris that said this. It's like, you know, put a rock and roll crew together. You know, touring crew together in order to, to get the vaccine to where it needs to be and distributed in such a way. And um, yeah, that's so true. Did either of you guys watch the documentaries about the failed festival? Um, it's like the was it the fire? Island yeah. Thing? Did yeah, you yeah. watch any of that stuff? I, I did. I did not know. I recommend it, but it's so painful because whenever they go to the production crew those people were just trying to make it happen. <laughs> you know, the whole thing is falling apart. It's, it's doomed from the start. It's a, a business model that isn't sustainable, but somebody kind of just thinks that they can hire a bunch of beautiful people to post about this festival and, and it works and they get people to buy tickets, but they don't actually have a show plan, you know? So whenever they put the cameras on the poor production staff, they're like, well, you know, we were trying to build a stage and I just go, oh, like I, you know, I know what that, that was probably like, you know, they're just making, making something out of nothing and they're really trying, you know, they're like, yeah. yeah well, you know, the thing about us is we've got doors that open. We've got a show that's going to happen. Yeah. You know, we have <laughs> to get it done. You know, yes. sometimes you show up really late. You know, and you just got to get it done, you yeah. know, and we just work under that, that, that frame of mind. And, you know, it's just, it's just in us, you, you, you know, you can't, at five o'clock, we just don't set it down and walk away and come back tomorrow and, and pick up where we left off. We've got to keep going, you know? Yeah. I toured with the um, artist Jack White when he started his solo stuff and he loves vintage stuff. He brings out a lot of stuff. So he brought out a guy in from his camp that works in his studio. So he works on records and stuff. And that guy had such a different mindset, you know, because in the studio, you just have endless time to perfect the sound, you know, and he, he, Jack would start talking about something and he'd get an idea and he'd be like, Oh yeah, what we should do, we should take this thing apart and build it and everything. And all the touring people were like, shut up. What are you talking about? We've got it. We've got a show, you know, like, and, and I think that happens with audio engineers too. Like live guys know there are limitations on what they can accomplish in a weird room, like a, a giant sports arena that wasn't meant for, audio it wasn't built with audio in mind you know right and those guys are you know just doing the best they can whenever i read i mean i shouldn't ever read comments but i do and somebody comments about the sound of a show i just want to say back like you don't really know what you're talking about the audio crew on this tour they do it professionally and they aren't able to do it perfectly they do the best they can with the time and gear allowed to them in the space allowed. That's yeah. what they're good at. You know? Some rooms sound better than others, you know? It's, it's just the, the position in the room and all other things, you know? Yeah. Like if so, you're at a tool show and you're in the front row in front of Adam's rig, you're mostly hearing <laughs> Adam's rig. You know, that's like, <laughs> it's like aircraft, aircraft engine 
volume coming out of that rig you know it is it is it is loud i've, I've walked and, by it you know when you know an accident and that he'll hit a no no like oh fuck you must want to come off your feet you know and, and also i've seen tool fans comments that that's where some people prefer to be they want to feel that burn they want adam to melt their face you know that's uh, that's preferred preferred well, he certainly does yeah. hey going back to jack white so you did mm -hmm. uh you did his first solo tour yeah and what was great about it was I can't, maybe 2008 or ish. I like that record a lot. Yes, he, all his his new stuff is great. Um, he had a a band of men and a band of women, and he would. The original plan was they were all going to use the same backline, but then we realized in rehearsals that that wasn't going to work. So we kind of had two backlines, and he would call the venue in the morning and tell us which backline to set up. Really? Because so so only one band would play per day. It wouldn't be yeah. an inter. It wouldn't go back and we forth. Did a couple things with both bands. We did the Grammys and certain things where both bands got to appear. But in general, he wanted it to be unknown to fans. And what what made that great was you know when you're on a tour, you're just the grind of day to day. Everybody knows what the show's going to be. The musicians did not know, so they were always like playing to show up the other band they were like tonight's our night the other band has to watch and we're gonna kick ass wow and it kind of was a bummer for some of the musicians because like if you're playing in your hometown and your parents are gonna be there you're hoping <laughs> you're gonna get up there but who knows where it got that way Did one band get favored over the other or was it kind of you you know um no they were really different they they had a really different energy. The guy band tended to get really loud and and jammy, and the woman band tended to be focused on songs. Like they 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 you know it's it's really you're in a in a different way. You're talking about a basic difference between men and women. Men There's will no talk bravado. talk more yeah, than yeah, they yeah, need yeah. to, and yeah, women yeah. give each other space. And yeah, but. Yeah. The musicians, there was maybe, you know, 14 of them all were on the same bus. And I used to joke that, that if we could put GoPros hidden in there, it would make a really great reality show because <laughs> some of them like to get high and some of them did not. Some of them were sober and some of them were always on time and some of them were always late. So it didn't really have anything to do with what band you were in, it's like what kind of person you was and how you gravitated to make a friendship with another person, you know? Right. So I think that was part of Jack's brilliance was keeping, like he doesn't make a set list. He just calls out songs. It's really always, there's always the, the potential for there to be a Kindle something amazing. And that energy of the two bands pitted against each other, not really against each other. They were really supportive, but there was definitely competition as well. You right. know? Did you have to wear a suit on that show? Yeah. Yeah. That's how everybody rolls, which I, was kind of a drag, you know, loading out with a tie on or something. <laughs> but, um, but everybody wore we, a matching I mean, blue suit, right? What's that? Everybody wore a matching blue suit. It was the same. No, I think we, yeah, there was a, there was a blue vibe. Yeah. It was blue ties. It was blue. Blue ties or black ties? And a hat. Yeah, you get you get you get a hat budget. You know, you get to pick a real. You know, some guys rock a fedora, and somebody do somebody does the bowler. It's like a personality thing. Like Bill Rainey was the PM on that tour, and Bill wore this really great like 
Canadian cowboy hat, like mounty kind of thing. Like flat brim. Like what was that movie with the oil baron? Oh yeah, there will be blood. Yeah, it was that hat. Oh, I love you that know, hat. For that big, imposing guy, you know, with his big beard. That was Bill's hat, you know. Oh, and wow. um, sound guy Hutch, total styler, just fucking ro- owned that Western look. You know? <laughs> He's the guy. We did the Grammys, um, and uh, Taylor Swift was big that year. She opened the show. But Hutch was in the sound booth. Hutch is a... He's not touring now, but he for a long time was associated with Queens of the Stone Age. He was their guy. And um, so Hutch has this desert guy look, the big, long, gray beard. Yeah, I know Hutch, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know him. Okay, so to get from the stage to the sound booth, you had to run, you know, to the broadcast truck or whatever. And he uses a lot of weird microphones, so he was really trying to place everything just right. You know, he didn't want to leave it to the the union guys. So he's running back to the truck, and he accidentally runs right through a Taylor Swift shoot. You know, she's posing with her cute dress, you know. So he ducks, right? And right at that moment, they get a photo, and nobody could understand what it was. They're like, here's Taylor Swift and some other celebrities – and what is that time traveling hermit guy? You know, he's like crouched down because he's trying to avoid the shot, but they catch him like with this mysterious look in his beard and nobody knows what the fuck it is. So he had an account for a while, time traveling hermit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, how funny. Yeah, Bill used to tell me, uh, I did a podcast with Bill, but I think we talked about... Um this era and we talked about the suits and and bill would always like call in radio okay badge on the way put the suits on yeah because yeah. <laughs> everybody wanted to you know keep their t-shirts and shorts on for the last you know to the last moment and one of the things i loved was when we did roll into the grammys it was the full entourage you know jack is the tallest guy so he's got seven beautiful women in their flowing dresses and seven badass musicians you know, totally style. It's totally styling before you even walk in the building. You know, they were like, "Yeah," it, and everybody noticed. You know, everybody was like, "Whoa, here comes Jack, man! That's pretty cool." You know, yeah, he's yeah. He's, he's incredible. He's, yeah. he's just, you know, I was really never a huge White Stripes fan, but I really like his solo stuff. Yeah, that new record right now. I worked for two drummers. I worked for Daru Jones and Carla Azar, both amazing players. And Daru is on the current tour and you know, killing it. And exciting i hope we cross paths i hope i get to see that show because i love those guys he's yeah. kind of touring with i don't know if you saw when he did snl recently he's got he, he did he sort of filled in for somebody somebody got canceled got rescheduled because of covid and he filled in at the last minute with just a trio with just it was the rhythm section from the tour i did and everybody loved it because it was really Live. You know, there was no track, you know, it was just like, he kind of did a medley, he threw in one of the songs he had worked on with Beyonce, and he threw in a, a reference to a, an old blues ballad about from the original version of the Spanish flu, that totally was applicable to the COVID era. And it was it was really cool. Yeah. I, I, did you see the movie he did with uh, Jimmy Page and, and, and the Edge? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. He's got that, that mini me that follows him around. In the yeah. same it might get loud. <laughs>
Yeah, that was a, a, great, a great film. Well, the movie opens up with him building a guitar out of a piece of plywood and some nails. And a, and a, and yeah, an incredible. electric guitar. He puts a pickup under the string. Yeah, that's in one of their, I think it's in the, the his his building third man where he has a uh a live room where you can do a gig and have it go direct to disc direct oh, to vinyl wow. you know yeah. they'll make a, a master for you or in the in the record shop part of it there's a booth where you can make a record and uh neil young did a record neil young there. did a whole record in, in yeah. that booth yeah i love I just, a copy I, of that yeah <laughs> I just uh, went to the new Third Man Records in Soho in London. It's pretty cool, you know. Oh, awesome! It's, it's, yeah. it's very tiny, but it's still, it still it maintains that very very Jack White chic vibe, you yeah. know. It's, yeah. it's very cool. Well, I was visiting with somebody else, and I called up his people, to, and they gave me a tour of the Detroit place, which yeah. there's a record plant that you can. Yeah. It was fascinating to talk to the engineers about, you know, those those presses work with hydraulic yeah you know the the press the way they get the yeah the, they gave, gave a tour for me and and, and 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 jesse my one of the touring mates of mine and they actually made a record right in front of us they they put the you know the they, they melted it the puck yeah, and yeah. They, they, they smashed it and did the whole thing yeah, right it's pretty awesome. it, was, it, was, it was pretty cool to watch yeah so who are some of who are some of your favorite people? You know, we've talked about a lot of people, but is there, is there anybody that we're missing that that just begs to be spoken of? Mm, you know, like for for me, it's always exciting to meet somebody whose records you loved. Right. Yeah. You know? I mean, I know I know in certain cases in certain cases it can be a disappointment to meet one of your idols. Oh, I know. You know. When we were just on tour, when Tools on tour in Europe. I coincidentally found out a, f a friend of mine, her son was going to music school and he was being taught by Budgie, the drummer from Susie and the Banshees, who I've toured with and I hadn't seen in ages. And I was really hoping it would work out that I would be able to reconnect with him. Um, Tools Lighting Guy also toured with him when he did his project called The Creatures. So we both, you know, really wanted to see him. But those records for me, you know, when I got to work for Budgie, it was amazing because his drumming meant so much to me, you know. So and I had all the. You worked for Susie records. and the Banshees. Yep. Yeah, right after Lollapalooza because wow. that's how I met them. That it was Dave actually that really befriended Sue and Budgie because he was such a huge fan. He gave Susie a really cool guitar, you know, the day we met them, you know, the day every that whole show was coming together and everything. Um, but I was a huge Blondie fan, so I considered Debbie my friend, you know, like, and that tour was early enough in my career that it was seeing the world. Like, she was really big in Europe and Australia. So um, Chris Stein, who was her partner in Blondie, was on the, the solo tour that I did with her. And uh, he unfortunately just left Blondie because he's getting too old to tour he doesn't really want to do that but um yeah. i consider both of them friends that you know nice i was excited when when her autobiography came out i i was really excited to get it and i was reading it and i was like i know all this stuff she told me all these stories like i, I read know. i read it i thought it was great yeah you know and she and you know the stories of her being robbed and, and, and 
all these. Oh things, God, that was you know, brutal. That oh, was brutal. Yeah. Tina, you know what? She's strong enough to tell the story, you know, and put it in her book. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's good. I think that's valid. Like you know, don't don't paint a rosy picture of things that were were tough. You know, times that were hard. Yeah, yeah. But I was doing uh, the Glastonbury Festival probably in the last ten years, and. And Blondie were like the the legends. They did the legend set, you know, which is like at ten o'clock in the morning or whatever. <laughs> and I and I'm I'm in having breakfast, and they just come off stage, and, and Debbie Harry walks into catering, just gets a plate of food, just like anybody else. Yeah, yeah. Walks by, looks at me, gave me a little smile, sat down at the table right next to me, and had her plate of slop that she got from the food yeah. line, and. And it was just, it was just, it was like, wow, it's fucking Debbie Harry. I do love the cool. moments when, when you know the <clears throat> artist knows with one look that you're a huge fan because they've seen it their whole lives. They've seen it a million times and they're still cool. They're still like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say hi to you because I know you've got that thing. You probably have all those records that people love and yeah. I've had a lot of those experiences, even with bands I didn't work for but I've been able to be near because of our jobs, you know, like that moment when you go backstage, like, can I just tell you how much you meant to me? <laughs> so, and then I have more patience. I have more patience for people when they have that energy towards an artist I do work for. Like I, all these people that are writing in my Instagram be there cause they're huge tool fans. I get it. Like I've been, that is the thing that makes our job sustainable is you know you're part of the magic you know i remember seeing the police and just totally that was it like being able to watch stuart copeland play live you know and so when i see somebody air drum in the audience i go yeah cool. i understand that yeah Even when i go to see a show i rarely get that excited because I'm just looking at the lighting rig and I'm looking at, you know, how many trucks was this and who's that, you know, that must be a really hard job to do the wardrobe on this tour or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny really loves Stuart Copeland. Oh and yeah. You, didn't you ask in, on your Instagram, didn't you ask him a question about, yeah, I said, I said, have you ever asked a celeb, a celebrity for an autograph? And he went, yeah, Stuart Copeland. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, Danny, Danny's so cool. So what, How about you? Have you, have you, either of you ever asked for an autograph? Hmm. Like walked up to somebody and said, maybe even I have your autograph before well, you were touring. Not in the music industry. I mean, I've had, you know, I, I've had posters signed by, by bands before, you know, that kind of thing, you know, yeah. or I was presented with a poster that the band signed for me yeah. that I didn't ask for, yeah. but I, I have to say no. I, I I used to go to Fenway Park when I was a kid and go Red Sox games and get autographs from the oh, players. Awesome. You know, I would like you know muscle my way down to the bottom of the bottom. Have of the you ever and... worked for somebody and then finally, you know, months after working for them, pull them aside and go, "I loved that record when I was in high school." Is there yeah. like an artist you worked for that you went like, "Yeah, this that one <clears> song <throat> changed my life." I actually, it was very interesting. And when I started working for Massive Attack, 
I found myself in the bathroom of a rehearsal studio and we're, we're doing rehearsals and Robert Del Maya comes in. He's, he's pissing right next to me and we're pissing. And we're kind of shoulder <laughs> to shoulder. And I chose that very moment to go, you know, mezzanine, mezzanine meant so much to me. What's yeah. What it came out and yeah. it changed my life. And he's taking a pee and he's looking up at me. He's like, hey man, thanks mate. You know, I really appreciate that. <laughs> so yeah. So what's 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 the what's the future hold for you? You think? I mean, uh, are you you just are you just gonna take it as it comes, or are you, you you really loving what you do still? Because yeah, I do love it. I do feel really lucky. This conversation actually has been good to remind me how lucky we are. Um, I the the way my life is right now because of family reasons, it makes sense for me to do this job, and. Just luckily, some offers have rolled in that I'm, it looks like I'm going to be busy for a while. So that's all good. Um, but I do, I'm married now, so I do miss the home life. COVID gave us that, gave us that time, you know, and I, I do really miss it. I, I'm less, I think part of the fun of being on the road is when you're single, you know, that, that ability to go out and find adventure it's different for me as an older dude and as a married person. Yeah. But I do, you know, I do love it. I love the work and I love to be around other competent people, which you don't, as we were saying earlier, you don't always find that in other professional contexts, you know, um, especially in music, you know, people go, Oh, you have the, so much experience working in this, you should go do this job. And I'm like, well, it doesn't pay as good as touring. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, it's such a different thing that it's like, if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to stay in music and I'm going to work events and I'm going to be working from 9 PM to midnight for at a show or whatever, I might as well tour, you know, that's, that's where the, the good work is and the, the good people and yeah it's, it's it's there's something about it it's 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 totally addictive you know yeah and then when you've when you've not toured for a while and then you know that the schedule is coming and you're getting ready yeah. to go on the road and it's yeah. getting closer and, you like know, and you're looking at the calendar and you're looking at your days off and you know it's just it's it's, it's yeah. there's nothing like it and you know if you're lucky you have friends in that city you, you go, oh, my God, I haven't seen this person in X number of years. It's going to be so great to catch up, you know, and see where they're at. And having friends in other time zones is a bonus, too. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's starting to feel kind of feel normal again. But we're still dealing with COVID. I mean, we're just still dealing with it. I'm, like yeah. I was telling that earlier, I'm in rehearsals. I've, I've got a guy who's in the hotel that's got it waiting for him to, to test negative. And it's just, it's yeah. just not going away. It's just yeah. not. And earlier this year, when we were in North America with Tool, you you got COVID, yep. and you had to step away. And and, yep. and I was just so proud of how everybody just handled it. You know, everybody jumped in. You know? It's interesting now because there's more of a an understanding that other people are going to cover for different jobs. Yeah. You know, like oh, I've done this before, so maybe I could help out in that department. You know, and yeah, but yeah. you know, when when you got COVID, I remember we we spoke about it. You you had to leave. It was it was in. Uh, San Antonio was that where you yeah, were Texas. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I tried calling a few drum techs, like, "Hey, can you come cover for it?" Nobody was really available. And then, and then the backline guys just came together and did your job as well as their own job. You know, and, yeah. and we we made it through. I don't know, maybe three or four shows without you. And, yeah, and it, 
was, it was, it was, but that's how that whole tour went. You know, I don't think the, I think the video department was down a man the entire tour. They were oh, never yeah. fully staffed, you know. Yeah, for sure. Every department. Every was, department. Was yeah. by it. And then everybody just covered each other. It was just yeah. really, really cool. Yeah. We just made it work. And know? to the band's credit, they were, <clears throat> they were handling it. You know, they were testing a lot and they, they had a plan. They were taking care of their people. They were saying, yeah, we're going to put you in a hotel until you're better. Yep. On you're gonna get paid. It's it's gonna be good. You know they were supporting everybody in that context, which I thought meant a lot. Yeah, I mean that was really good. I mean not only the band but management. You know for Tool, everybody just we were all were like minded and had and had this ethos that we really needed to. If we want a tour, if we want to continue, yeah, <laughs> we, we need we need to take certain steps. And yeah, we were the first tour on the road this year. And then we were the yeah, first tour on the road show. in Europe as well, you know, and, we kinda, and everybody was kind of watching us to see how we would react and how we, what would we yeah. do? And, and I, I'm very proud. I think we were very successful. You yeah, know? I agree. You know, so how much longer are you, what's Pussifer? What's, 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 what, how long Pussifer's to the, the end of the month. It's a quick month run. Maynard wants to get back to the vineyards and um, it's great. Like, I don't know if you know anything about this, but you know, there's, there's a performative element. There's kind of comic videos that happen. The persona that Maynard has adopted on this is sort of a uh, government agent with sunglasses and a black suit and a black tie. And then yeah, yeah. there's sort of these <clears throat> men in black that make appearances, these sort of aliens. And uh, it's, it's funny and it's fun. And the music, Pussifer is interesting because it isn't one thing, but on its own, I, if it didn't have any of the theatrical stuff, the music is great. Yeah, and the new record, which dropped during COVID, and they did did some really cool pay-per-view kind of performances. There's this place in Arizona called Arcosante. Are you familiar with it? Mm -mm. It's this kind of cool, uh, futuristic, engineered uh, city that some architectural dreamer put together um they they use that as a, a set for a, a live show but the new songs are great and um there's no you know it's it's really different than tool it's there's no there's no cabs on stage everybody's on ears and um it's just great i i'm very happy it's small you know it's a theater show yeah so it isn't the same level of you know, there's not what, how many trucks did we have on tool to 15 trucks or something, yeah, 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 two, two trucks. And yeah, I, I, I helped Maynard with his very first Pussifer shows. That's where I go back yeah. to the, the very, very first ones. Yeah. I the core them. of the band, Matt Mitchell, who we know as a backline guy, who's now a rock star in this band is writing and programming the music. And he's got a, a, a singer, Karina round sings with him. So there's this, female energy and harmony mm. their two voices together really are quite beautiful I, I agree. Well, thematically sometimes mm. the music is things that you can tell are on Maynard's mind when he's in Arizona like connection to earth yeah. is you know dealing with the existential crises of our times like climate change and all those kind of things so the music is just beautiful on its own yeah. And he, they always put together a great band. The musicians are different each go round, but the rhythm section this time out is really, really good.
Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're all kind of in awe of Maynard of his work ethic. You know, when he's not in tool, he's in a perfect circle. When he's not in a perfect yeah. circle, he's in Pussifer. When he's not in Pussifer, he's a restaurateur or he's, yeah. he's got vineyards and he's the chief winemaker now. He makes the wine. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. He, he, is, he is truly a farmer and I can yeah. see the passion. Driving the forklift around and dumping bins of grapes and things like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Did you, did you see that, uh, that, that little video snippet he did on Easter? Yes, I love about that. Easter egg, about Easter egg hunting and whatnot. Yes. Yeah. I, he, I would recommend anybody. He's pretty deep. Yeah. You know, to find that. It's very well done and very yeah. well made. And, I agree. you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm proud to be his friend. I'm Me proud too. I've to have worked with him for, for 20 years and supported him. And Chris, him I'm proud to be stuff. your friend too, bro. Ah. <laughs> you nice of you to well. say that in the you introduction. Just introduce me as your friend. That was nice. Well, you are you are my friend, and I always yeah. enjoy our, our our time together. And yeah. you guys do a great podcast. I'm loving hearing. Well, thank all you. Stuff. Thank you. Well, we're we're a little rusty. I feel a little rusty today because mm -hmm. I haven't done it in three months. But you know, yeah. Uh, Matt Matt will edit out all the awkward pauses. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you have to go back and edit this whole thing? This many over an hour session. <laughs> So I keep it to a minimum. So okay. okay. Hey, well, Joe, I know you've got a lobby call to get to. You're on your yes. way to do a gig today in Albuquerque. Yep, sure I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign off, and then I'm going back to production rehearsals. Where, where you know we've got the creative team in there making. I hope we all cross paths soon. We will. That'd be great. We will. But thank you for doing this, Joe. This was so. Oh, fun. it was my pleasure. It was my yeah. pleasure. You get what more do you got for guys. Get more backlog guys. Yeah, they, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. yeah, Matt, what do you got for Joe? Nothing. That was that was great. I mean, you know, the whole going back in time there, especially with Lollapalooza and stuff. And certainly I knew some people on that, you know, in the early days of that tour. And he makes me go, oh, did you know so-and-so or do you know so-and-so? And it's like, uh, but um, no, it's cool. It's a cool background. It's a cool story. Thanks for sharing it. Um, awesome stuff. Uh, hopefully you got a lot out of it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you said that you enjoyed doing it from the standpoint that it just kind of reminds you of like how fortunate and lucky you are. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, really. I, I think that everybody in the industry should kind of get on and be able to say their their piece and their story, because I think, you know, I don't know, I think it's it's good. Everybody comes off these things feeling good about what they had to say. And, you know, sharing the story, I think, is amazing. So thank you. Mm, agreed. Agreed. Okay, Take care, you guys. All right. Okay, guys. See Thanks. You. Take care, Joe. See you, Chris. Bye bye.